Uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. That's where we'll be this morning. Uh, if you were here last week, we talked about really the preparation, uh, the retraining, the education that the Lord gives us uh, to be a Christian. Um, you think about what it is that, that happens at the point of salvation. So, uh, so if you, when you don't know Christ, when you're not his, uh, Paul tells us that you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're dead. And, and in 1 Peter chapter 1, it talks about us being born again. Born again. Now, um, I, I remember, I wasn't a big video game person, uh, but I, I had a friend when, when I was in uh, high school, uh, he would come out for the summers and he, he loved video games. And when I say video games, I'm talking about like quarters and stuff like that, where you had to pay money for them. And we would go to this particular, uh, I think it was like a... Um, ice cream shop or something and they had 12 15 games and 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 we would we would take quarters and we would play and what was so interesting about first of all I I, I was never any good at it never never not the simplest of games uh, the quarters would be gone quickly it didn't matter how many I brought I could blow through them and um, and so but what, what was interesting is that you know you put your quarter in you play your game and it's over. And there's always a sense of defeat and like some weird noise that comes out of the machine that says, you are a loser. Okay? But what was interesting about that, you know, the quarter's gone, you're a loser at the end. For another quarter, you could erase the whole thing. Like you, you just put that other quarter in, new game, new people, new uh, uh, lives or whatever. By the way, you don't get extra lives. That's the cat thing, you know, nine lives, you know, you, you only get one. And so the idea of being born again, uh, really this section of the scripture is helping us to understand what do we do with this new life we've been given? Um, if you think about your life, Apart from Christ, uh, God used your failings and your sins to draw you to himself. That fact that, you know, there were times where you were acutely aware that you were a loser. That you did things that were a failure in your life. And the guilt and the shame of what you had done uh, was, was heavy on you. And God used that to draw you to himself. But what's to say that after you're born again, what's to stop you from going right back to those very sins uh, that you were dead in? It's interesting. Uh, it's not that we're incapable of sinning after we are born again. It's that we're freed from the slavery. And yet, as a free person, a free man or a free woman, uh, what's to say that you won't go back to those same sins and really, we're in a passage this morning uh, that gives us some motivation, gives us uh, two of the three motivations uh, in this section about how we can no longer sin. It's the education uh, that will give us motivation. 
that will draw us away from the sins that caused us to be dead. And so it's an exciting passage this morning. Um, Just to let you know, I'll talk about it when we get there. The final part of this I will handle uh, in two weeks as part of our um, preparation as we celebrate that Christ has come. And so if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you the scripture and, (coughs) excuse me, I'll start reading at verse 13, uh, down through this section, uh, verse 21, and we will be, uh, this morning we'll be starting at verse 17, but I want to read the, the section for context. God's word says this, verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him uh, as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that Uh, You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He, uh, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, for the sake of you, who... Through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I'll stop there. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for writing your word to us, giving us the message that we share this morning, uh, that you would uh, remind us and encourage us and mark for us something that we can uh, bank our life on, truth that we can live by. God, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I don't do this very often, but I'm really pleased with myself. I have three C's as my points for you this morning, okay? Alliteration. There must be an English teacher in the uh, class here today. Uh, We start this morning uh, with verse 17. And uh, I want you to get this. We've already talked about like this idea of a war, the action, uh, that we're preparing for war. We're, we're not preparing for peacetime. This isn't a walk on the beach or a walk on the park. This isn't uh, something that's fake. This isn't an amusement park. This isn't sitting on the couch. This is a war. We are part of that because of our connection to Jesus Christ. And so in verse 17, we start out with the call, the call. And this is interesting. This is a second call. This is a second call. This is a response call, if you will. Verse 17 says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Uh, If you look up at verse 15, you realize that he has called to us first. He's called to us. And the reason for that, I've already mentioned it here this morning, 
Uh, if he doesn't take the first step, dead people in their sins will not move, will not move. And so he calls to us, he calls us and, and draws us to himself. And now because of his calling of us, we can call on him. Uh, I, I love that. Uh, well, Haley was looking at me and I, I always wish that, you know, I could have like a GoPro on so you could see the kids' faces because their faces are amazing because, you know, they're thinking and they're, they're trying to figure out uh, what to say and how this all fits together. And I, I love the idea that when you don't know what to do and you're, you pray, you pray. And, and what that is, we have relationship with the Father through the Son, that we can do that at any time. Why? Because he called on us. And he gave us relationship. And he, it's on the basis of this, this morning, he says, you call on him. You call on him as, as what? You, you call on him uh, as Father. Father. Um, what a tender picture. Uh, that God gives us of himself. A loving father, loving heavenly father. Loves us. And uh, the confidence that you can have when your life is a mess, that you can still call on him is because he's your father. Permanent relationship. This is not something temporary. It's not something that is... uh, uh, you know, a friendship for a moment. It's a father for eternity that he is with you. And so this relationship, the one who has called on you, you now are calling on him. You're calling on him as father. This father, he reveals about himself is what? He is a judge, an impartial judge who grants according to one's deeds that we now know him as one who's an impartial judge, not one that is unjust. Injustice is one of the uh, buzzwords of today, that everyone's afraid of injustice. And why? Because we've all experienced it, right? We've all experienced injustice in our lives, and we see it in our world, and things are not right, are not right. And so sometimes we fear uh Authority, we fear authority because they're going to be unjust and, and we're not going uh, to get a fair shake. And, and we know for certain because of what the Father reveals about himself that he is an impartial judge, but also one who judges based on each one's deeds. And so we call on him. We call on him. He who called you... Uh, we now, uh, on the basis of relationship, call on him, the one who is holy and good, the one whose motive, uh, his justice is a motive for us as we live. We can count on him. We can count on him as a father, as a child would count on his good father. Which brings us to number two, our conduct, or conducting ourselves. He says, because of Uh, we now call on him because of who he is, our father is, the impartial judge, we conduct ourselves in a certain way. Um, If you look in the middle of verse 17, it says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Um, 
when you see that word, those words conduct yourselves, it's the idea on the basis of who God is and this new relationship that we have with him and, and it being a family relationship. He says he, he's just, he's good. If we can trust him, we are to live in light of that. Uh, the, the fear that we have is not because he is going to squash us because he, he, he hates us or he's in a fit of rage. Maybe you've been uh, in a situation like that. Some, sometimes we talk about this when it comes to uh, people in authority. I think of, uh, you know, I've heard of, and I don't necessarily believe it's true, but like sometimes teenagers when they uh, get pulled over by a, a, a local authority, they say things like this, oh, he was having a bad day. Uh, it had nothing to do with how fast they were going. But he, he was having a bad day. Sometimes we say that about teachers too. Uh, you know, I've heard kids uh, complain about teachers and they say, uh, oh, she was having a bad day. She was having a bad day. And she might have been. Uh, or maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your boss. You'd say, you know, he was in quite a mood today and he just started yelling at everybody and being demanding. We realize that there are people that uh, we can't trust and we, they're based on their moods. That's what we're going to get. And, and based on the character of God, we know this, that we can, it's a motive for us living in a certain way. It really motivates us to uh, live differently than we lived before. It says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Um, kind of an interesting thing. I know we, some of us have struggled with this idea of fearing God. In the book of Proverbs, it tells us that, that that's the beginning of wisdom, to fear God. And really that, that sets a course to be in right relationship with God, that there's a fear element to that. There, there's this idea that we would uh, have a fear relationship with God. Um, if you can put these two concepts together, that is, we're called the fear, but fear our Father who is above. Uh, our loving Father, we trust Him. We, we know that He is good, and we also fear Him. Well, what kind of fear is that? Uh, uh, holy awe, many people have described it as that. But know this, that um, you knew your Father was the authority of your home, right? And if you were confident in His goodness, which... Uh, all of you, you who are kids right here, me being a father, I know this as well, that sometimes I'm a good father and sometimes I'm not. Uh, sometimes I am based on my own selfishness and pride and other times I am doing. But as we know him to be different, we realize that we now can conduct ourselves in a, a right relationship with fearing him. Um, and really... Uh, it also says in Proverbs, it talks about the fear of man and how that's bad. Why? Because if you fear man, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's most amplified when kids go to school, right? Everyone else is doing it. Uh, unfortunately, we don't graduate out of that uh, as we walk across the stage in high school, right? Even those in our 50s, 60s, and 70s, and I won't even go further than that, but uh, we struggle with what people think about us. 
And what is so-and-so going to say? What, what are the people at church going to say? What are my neighbors going to say? What, and we think about all these things and we go through the list. Well, what is this person going to think of this decision? How does this person talk? How does this person think about this? And we start putting them all together and we get in this complicated mess because, you know, who are we supposed to please? Who are we supposed to care what they think? And he says, fear God. Fear God. Fear your heavenly Father, the one who loves you most. And as this comes together, it really is just who is most important of worship. Who's the one that you worship in amongst uh, all the others, right? Everyone else is crying out for you to obey them. And who do you hear? Who do you listen to? Who's the one that's most important? Is it your heavenly Father that loves you so much? And that's what we're called to do as we conduct ourselves with fear, fear of God. And he says, throughout the time of exile. Uh, if you've been in our, in our study of First Peter, that's what this is. It's a time of exile. It's not a time of popularity of the majority of people or followers after Christ. It's a few scattered churches over the region. Not, a, not that many people. And the fear of persecution and, and, and pushing in. And so they find themselves to be exiles, strangers, if you will. Wanderers, people that don't belong. And so it's such a great picture because um, he says, you know, you're, you're kind of behind enemy lines. You're not in your place. It's not where you are the most popular or the most well-known or uh, none of that. While you are that... Conduct yourselves with fear of God. Remember that he's most important. Um, I don't know if this is helpful for you, but um, it's kind of like going on a family vacation in Oakland. Put that together. We lived up in the Bay Area for a while, uh, an hour north of San Francisco. And uh, I don't know about... I've gotten confused in LA on the LA freeways. Not a problem. I've, I've been confused a bunch of times, but I don't know why it is in the Bay Area. Um, if you miss your exit or if you forgot to get gas, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're you're on a bridge to the wrong place. And anyways, uh, we needed gas or someone needed to use the restroom, and uh, we we're we we're on one of the freeways. And I said, "I'll oh, just get off here." And so I got off here. And I found myself in the middle of Oakland, right? And, and I couldn't find the on-ramp. And so I, I kind of went down this road and down this road. And I go, whoa, I need to go back. I need to get out of this area. But the idea is, you, you know, when you're a kid, you're in the minivan, you're looking around and you're going, man, it's kind of crazy around here, but I don't care. I don't care. I'm with my dad. My dad's going to take care of this. And, and if you're a dad, you realize that you hope you're going to take care of it, right? You know, you're going, yeah, I got it. Everything's fine, kids. Uh, but, but it's this idea, this idea that we don't walk alone when we're exiled and strangers in this world. We don't, we don't walk alone. Our Heavenly Father walks with us. And we don't walk without Him in a sense of that we look to Him and say, Dad, what do I do? How should I live? What do you want me to do right now? That as we uh, are calling upon him, we're also conducting ourselves or living 
in a certain way based upon our relationship with him. I want to tell you the simplest thing that you can do uh, in this life is ask the question of yourself and more importantly of God, what do you want me to do? What does God want me to do right now? Not what does everybody else want me to do? Not what do I want to do? Not what does my wife want me to do? Or my husband? Or my kids? Or my parents? What does God want me to do? And this singular focus of, Father, what do you want me to do right now? How do you want me to live? What a beautiful thing that we have, a simple thing that we can do as he who has called upon us, we now call upon him and we just ask, God, what do you, how do you want me to live? What do you want my priorities to be? Where do you want me to be? And what do you want me to be about? So we have call and conduct. And lastly, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning, on the cost, the cost, verse 18. And um, to be honest, we're going to dip back into last week a little bit, but um, the cost, in my mind, is most compelling when it comes to sin. If you're fighting sin here today, I I think this will be helpful for you. I, I think this will be helpful for you if we dwell upon this, the cost, the cost. Um, we're getting into a, a season of gift giving and we realize uh, that gifts are, are, are appropriate and it's nice and we like getting gifts. And um, But there's a cost to a gift and a lot of times that determines, you know, how we treat that gift, right? If it's something insignificant or unwanted, we don't care. But if it's something... Uh, that we needed so desperately and it cost an amazing amount. There's a treasure to it that causes us to think differently after we've received the gift. Verse 18, it speaks of the cost, 18 and 19, it speaks of the cost of um, us being ransomed or redeemed or let loose from the sin problem that we had. Verse 18, it says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Um, a lot of times uh, we sin and we like uh, young children. You, have you ever asked young children, why did you do that? What do they say? They got a lot of dumb answers. But like uh, most of them are like, uh, because he did it, because I wanted to, or just because, or I don't know. It just seemed like the right thing to do. Let the house on fire. It seemed like it'd be fun. Um, uh when we sin, when we sin, it's important to say, why? How did I, I get here? Why did I think this was a good idea? To reflect on it. When you lose the game, uh, no, no sense just sitting crying about it, right? But to be able to say, how did we lose the game? And how could we next time come out on top? What do I need to change? 
what, and, and what it is that we need to change is this. There's something we need to know. It's a change of mind that would reflect. We even saw in verse 13 a couple of weeks ago, this idea of preparing our minds for action, right? It's a change of mind. It's something that we need to think differently that will come out in our actions, okay? And there should constantly be this, what do I need to be doing? There's something that we need to know, and I would just connect it, verse 18. We need to know the cost of our redemption or our ransoming. Verse 18 says, uh, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. That that ransoming is a picture of being purchased. Uh, uh, there's a ton of uh, passages in the New Testament that use this imagery for talking about salvation. And, and the imagery is maybe even more, more so vile to us because of our history. It's an issue of slavery. You're enslaved to sin. There were all kinds of different ways that people were enslaved to sin. Some of them were born as slaves. Their parents were slaves and they were born and so they were now property or they were owned by their slave owners. There were other people that, uh, you know, they ran into hard times and they, they had a, a, a deal with the, the slave owner. I'll be your slave for five years uh, for an amount of money and so I'll, I will be your slave. And when that time is up, It'll be done. Others still, uh, that they went farther than that. They became bankrupt and then they were thrown into prison and then they were sold as slaves. But it it wasn't a permanent, it didn't have to be a permanent thing, though it was. uh, They could be bought back uh, either by someone being kind to them or a family member or somehow them having a, a... a side business, if you will, after hours. This is the word that is used there, this idea of ransom. You're bought off the slavery market. You, you are freed from the, the place that you are. He says, you need to know about that. You need to remember that. I think that especially for some of us who have been Christians for a long time or grew up in a Christian home, uh, we forget, we forget the state of our soul apart from Jesus. I, I think it's wise to remember those of you who have uh, been raised in a Christian home and trusted in Christ at an early age, I think it's wise to think and to speculate where you would be without Jesus. I think it's wise. Where would you be? And when you see people, you know, on the news or in the neighborhood or in, doing filthy things, or even think about that prison over there, you think, that's where I would be. That, that, that was a potential I had in my own sin. I could have been right there with them. I think sometimes as people of the church, we look at other people and we go, uh, they're a piece of trash. I can't believe, there's the wickedness, I can't even believe that. I, I, I don't understand how anyone could do that. If you don't understand how anyone can do that, you don't know the scriptures. You don't understand what life is apart from Jesus. You're capable of every sin 
and in multiple times doing all those unmentionable sins over and over and over again. That's what we are without Jesus. But with Jesus, uh, we are called to remember and to know what? That we were ransomed. Ransomed for what? The the futile ways of our forefathers. Um, It's interesting. He, He says, if you skip back up to verse 14, he's already called your old life. In verse 14, he says, do not uh, be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, right? He calls your life apart from Jesus ignorance. And now he says, uh, this life that he is saving us from is what? It's a futile or vain life inherited uh, from our forefathers. We have family ties, right? Uh, We have problems from our forefathers. He points back in the book of Romans, it tells us that Adam's sin is just born out in every generation from there in us. And so as Adam sinned, we also see Christ as the Savior, the one who his death and resurrection is the one who gives us life. And so we realize that it's a family tradition, our sin, right? Uh, it's funny, we can look at that a couple of different ways. We can say, the reason I'm a sinner is because that's part of being a human, a human, uh, a person. We got all this from Adam. We can say that. But you can also say, uh, you can talk about your mom and dad. Uh, I don't think, you know, a lot of times in counseling, uh, people say, the reason I'm so messed up is why? My mom and dad. And we don't like saying that, but that's true. That's true. Especially as parents, we don't like hearing that, right? We see, we see our kids have issues. And I don't know why they're like that. And everyone else goes. <laughs> and there's phrases like the nut doesn't fall far from the tree and stuff like that and all that good stuff. I want to tell you that that we have ties to humanity, we have ties to our family, we have learned, but we have also inherited uh, sins, generational sins that are connected uh, to the generations before. But I want you to get this. The the word here, vain or futile, um, is used quite a few times when it comes to idol worship. Idol worship. And the... The thing about idol worship that's so important for you to get is this. If you can picture in your mind some kind of idol that would be up here on stage. I'm not talking about Zach's fancy piano. But uh, uh, if there was some kind of idol here and we one by one came up and paid homage or prayed to this idol, there would, if someone would be in their right mind and standing back, they'd say, it's just a piece of wood. It's just a stone. Why are they doing that? Why are they acting like the piece of wood or the stone can help them in any way? It's like talking to your door, okay? At home, and you talk to your door, and you say, door, would you please help me? I'm in a world of mess right now. You know, I, I, I can't live life. I, I have so many things going on. Could you help me, door? And then you stand there waiting for your door to talk back to you. You, you stand waiting there for your door to act, and it sounds so ridiculous. 
And, and so the, the act itself is worthless. It's futile. It's vain. And the sad thing of the problems that we have inherited from our parents or grandparents, the generations that have gone before us, all the humankind back to the time of Adam, the problem with all those different options of worship and living life is they don't work. They don't work. They don't help you for the day. They don't secure your soul for eternity. It doesn't work. And yet we're stuck with those wrong answers over and over again. Every generation struggles with these wrong answers over and over and over again. It's futile. But I want to tell you, he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers. Rejoice. This Thanksgiving, if you've trusted in Jesus, you can say to your family, so thankful that I was ransomed, that I was uh, bought away from the the slavery that I was in, the, the place I was stuck, bought away from the futility that had gone on the beginning of time and the beginning as far back as I can trace my family tree. How? How how was this done? Well, as you look at verse 18, it says, Knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver. Um, It's interesting, he says, Perishable things. Why did they make money? And why did they mine silver and gold and still do to this day? Why, why do they do that and use that as currency? Because it, it doesn't perish, right? It doesn't perish. We you were always dreaming of finding the pirate's uh, you know, treasure chest filled with gold and silver. Why? Because it'll still be there. And he takes that which is most precious, obviously precious, for the people. They would say, oh, yeah, that, that's not going to blow away. It's not like something like a flower or, or you know, some other thing that is, goes bad over time. Silver and gold doesn't go bad. And, and he says, these are the expensive things. These are the things that people treasure. And he says, that perishable, that temporary, that won't work. He says, that is insignificant for your souls. He says, not with perishable things. So he takes that which was thought to be imperishable and also thought to be valuable. Thought to be valuable. Um, Gold, especially, but silver and gold, boy, it's valuable. Uh, Gold-plated. You know, silver, you know, you look at it, oh, wow, that's expensive. And he says, it's not imperishable. It's not that exp- it's not it's not worth it it's not enough and then he puts the infinite worth of Christ the blood of Christ right next to it verse 19 he says you weren't uh, he says you're ransomed not with perishable things Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The infinite worth of Christ. And this is what we're going to come back to, but there's just a couple of things, a couple of weeks. 
But a couple of things I want to share with you this morning. First of all, this, we are talking about the infinite worth of Christ. That compared to gold and silver things, those gold and silver, nothing, they're nothing. Not, not enough. Not enough for your souls. Not enough for your souls individually. You can't buy your salvation individually with silver or gold, but also collectively as well. Have you thought of that? What, what is your soul worth? What, are, what needs to be paid for your sins? That's a lot, right? But how about the person sitting next to you? Some of you know that person. It makes you scared, right? You know, is God going to run out? Well, it's based on the infinite worth of Christ, that Christ was enough for you and me and all those who would come. A couple of things about the blood. Okay, I just want to bring these in and we'll touch back on these. First of all, in Leviticus 17, it says this, for, for the, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Life is in the blood. And so as God set things up in creation, that the blood would be connected with giving life and so it becomes the symbol and also the thing that is spilled that we would have forgiveness which brings us to hebrews 9 which says indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins we realize that the connection with us having life and us having forgiveness and, and cleansing, how does that happen? It happens with blood, not the blood of goats, of sheep, or of a lamb, but the special lamb, the lamb, Jesus Christ, without spot or blemish. Well, that's where we'll pick up in two weeks. I'll just leave it there. I, I want to give you a few uh, things to remember in the midst of temptation, and they're, they're from our passage here. A couple of weeks ago... Uh, we looked at uh, chapter 1. Um, it, it talks about his holiness. Um, and it says, don't conform to the passions. But verse 15, it says, but as he who called you is holy, it is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. The first motivation in the midst of temptation is to remember that he is holy. He is holy, the one who saved me, the one who redeemed me. So I am to be holy, okay? To remember that in the midst of temptation. Am I supposed to uh, defile myself with the sins of this world? No. He is holy, so I am holy. That's number one. The second motivation in the midst of temptation is this, that he is just. He is just. Now, um, justice is a funny thing, isn't it? Do you want a just judge? Well, it depends right? Depends if you're guilty or if you're innocent, right? Throughout the scriptures, you can look at the book of Ecclesiastes and uh, the book of Revelation as well and others in between. This idea that God sees what we do. He sees and, and he knows. He's not one who's confused. And so we remember in the midst of temptation, his justice. We say, what does God think of what I'm going to do? What, what does God think of this? And how will he view the sins that I'm about to commit? And lastly, just to remember, he is the payment. He is the payment. It's not with uh, things that just aren't worth it. You can almost say they're worthless. Silver and gold, worthless compared to Jesus. He is the payment 
So, so my sin that I'm about ready to do, I'm tempted to do, it's not inconsequential, irrelevant, or minor, or unimportant. Sometimes we think about that and we go, oh, God doesn't care about that. That's not a big deal. It's all forgiven. Wait, it is forgiven, but there was a cost. And it wasn't a minor cost. It wasn't an irrelevant one. It wasn't something that didn't matter. It was the precious blood of Jesus. And so as we look at the temptation before us, you ask the cost. What, what would the cost of this be? Well, the cost is the precious blood of Jesus. May these things help us as we struggle with sin in this new life as we're born again. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning, a blessing of being with your people. God, I, I ask that uh, you... Uh, would continue to work in our lives, even as we think about being thankful this week, that you'd fill our lives with understanding of how good you've been to us. And then as we celebrate the birth of your son, God, I ask that you would remind us both of our need and the riches that we have in Jesus and the payment that was made and that others need to know. God, thank you for this morning. I continue your work in your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.